0: Good evening. It is good to see each of you this evening. If you're visiting with us, it is an honor to have you. Thank you for being with us. We hope that we can encourage you as you've encouraged us. If you want to take a Bible and open to Ecclesiastes, the seventh chapter. Uh, We will not have slides tonight, so I hope you have your Bible and we can study along together uh, straight out of the old-fashioned way. Uh, It has been a wonderful, wonderful weekend. The Uh, Egg hunt was tremendous yesterday, great turnout, several, of course, of our congregation, several visitors, and it's just a blessing to see the little children. Truly, children are a gift of the Lord, and what a blessing it is to be able to have a congregation uh, that is blessed abundantly with children, and let's make sure that we're always doing everything that we can do to help raise our children in the Lord. And what a wonderful opportunity yesterday to see them enjoy themselves and to visit with uh, their parents and etc. We appreciate Mike and Stacey Eeks and all that they did to lead that event. And of course, many, many that helped them in that endeavor. It was a great success. This past week, with the funeral of Miss Essie Bowen, the burial was at Leval Cemetery it's the first time that I'd ever been to Leval Cemetery. It's a little community cemetery. It's an old cemetery. It's almost full. And after the burial service of this wonderful Christian saint that uh, has marched her last journey on this earth to her way by faith we believe in heaven, I stayed around a little bit afterwards and began looking at some of the tombstones. Kay and Sandy and Brandy and a few of us began looking at some of the older ones. There were some there of individuals that passed away in the earlier parts of the 1700s or the 1800s, having been born in the latter parts of the 1700s. It's amazing to think about the lives that they lived then and how things have changed. It's amazing to look at the epitaphs that had been written on those stones and as I was there, I walked back to the car, and I couldn't get that thought out of my mind. So I got out of my car, and I walked back through. I thought, you know, there's a lot of lessons that we ought to learn from a cemetery. I want to read to you just a few of the ways that individuals here locally have been remembered. And as we think about this, I'd like for you to ask yourself, how would others remember you and place it in one brief statement? One gentleman, it said, he was a friend of orphans and widows. Another epitaph read, an honest man, the noblest work of God. Another said, asleep in Jesus. Or, she lived for others. Or, she lived full of faith in the Redeemer. His laughter we will remember. We shall meet in the sweet by and by. How do you feel about cemeteries, funeral homes, memorial services? Now I understand sometimes because of certain situations that's happened in the past, they can be more difficult for some people than for other people. But I want to tell you something from the Word of God. As a rule of thumb, if you and I haven't lingered lately at a cemetery, if we haven't done some soul and heart searching at a funeral, we're probably not everything that God designed for us to be. There's something about the way God has designed us that we need to stare our end in the eyes and be reminded of what that end is. You see, here in Ecclesiastes, the 7th chapter, he states it very clear. As we begin verse 1, a good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death than the day of one's birth. Now, did we read that right? We have many babies being born right now in the congregation. What a blessing that is. The Reeds brought their little baby, Gracie, this morning to the service. She wasn't as big as a minute and beautiful. And we see that and we think, wow, that's an awesome occasion. The day of one's birth. And Solomon writes and says, let me tell you something that's far better. The day of one's death. Have you lingered at death long enough that you can say that? Do you have enough faith in what God teaches that you can say, the day of my death is far going to surpass the day of my birth? Friends, we're talking about things tonight that the world will never understand. And the only way you and I will understand it and appreciate it is if we live as people of faith. Let's read on as he says in verse 2. Better to go in the house of mourning than to go in the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men and the living will take it to his heart. Do you count it a blessing to go to a funeral? To linger at a cemetery? Or would you rather say, I'd rather go to a celebration, I'd rather go to a party, I'd rather go to a banquet, to a place of feasting? I don't think that Solomon is suggesting here that every day ought to be a sober, drab day for us. But it is the reality that he states here, we all need to look at the end of all mankind. Because when we recognize that that is the end of all, we then recognize our own end. Look at verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter. By sad countenance, the heart is made better. How many of us, as Bud Lambert told us personally, it hurts to hurt, but it's not bad to hurt. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand for confidentiality, but you know who you are. He's told us that over and over when we've talked to him individually. Think about that. We make a mistake in life when our idea of a good life is to avoid all pain. Friends, that's how individuals become spoiled. That's how individuals lose the true meaning and depth in life. Some of the greatest growth that you and I will ever experience in our life is when life is hard. When life is breaking us, or so it seems. And where we say, my heart is heavy. And perhaps we need to be reminded of teachings like this where the Lord says, I want you to go through such times. I want you to recognize this because in that you'll start to recognize the fullness of life. But then notice one more verse here. The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. And so it is, I have to ask myself tonight am I wise? What is it that I could learn from a cemetery? If you would be turning to Hebrews, the ninth chapter. Hebrews, the ninth chapter, and I'd like to tell you a few things that I think that we could learn if we spent some time in a, in a cemetery. As I walked by each of the gravestones, I began to notice something. There are certain appointments in life that are etched in stone. You probably have called before and, and rearranged a schedule for a dental appointment. Or maybe with your mechanic to say, I I need to change that. Instead of dropping my car off Monday, can I drop it off Tuesday? We're accustomed in life to schedules being fluid. But you know, when you walk around a cemetery, something becomes very clear. The day of one's birth is etched in stone. It's a fact. It's an appointment that has already been made and kept, and it's etched in stone. And you know what? Our death is going to be etched in stone just as final. As a matter of fact, Hebrews, the ninth chapter, verse 27 says, And it is appointed for men once to die, but after this, the judgment. It is an appointment. It is an appointment that God could already etch in stone. I'm not suggesting to you that God takes our life, but the fact is, God knows the future. God right now could etch on a stone every one of our death dates just as easy as you and I could etch in stone our birth date. When we start to realize that, we start to realize how valuable life itself is. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 90. You know, the psalmist says so much about the brevity of life and the value of life. And to be honest with you, I didn't realize that until I began studying for this lesson. We will not touch the hem of the garment of the number of passages that we could read from the psalmist. And when we think about the psalmist, we think about David and we think about his wisdom and we think about the close relationship we have with God. And and I'm beginning to figure this out. This is a man that realized what was most important in life. And one of the reasons why he realized what was most important in life was because he realized the brevity of life. Look, if you will, in the 90th chapter in verse 10, notice how he says, The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off And we fly away. A beautiful picture there of death. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. Now, notice this. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Here is an appointment that's etched in stone, if you will, and that means that our days are limited. And as we recognize that they are limited, we recognize then the great value that they have. I know probably a year or more ago, I received one particular email probably 25 times, and I'm sure many of you did. It was about the individual that had a jar of marbles, and every marble represented a Saturday that he would have while his children were still at home with him. And it was the exact number for the youngest child to leave home. And every Saturday he would pull out a marble to remind himself that my weekends that I have with my children are limited. How wisely will I use this opportunity? Friends, you and I could have a marble for every week of our life or for every day of our life or for every year of our life, but the point is it's already said and we're on a countdown. And that's not a negative thing. That's a reality. It's been that way for Adam, the first man that was ever created. And it's that way for the baby that's being born right now. We all have a limited number of days. And when we begin to live with the end in sight, We treasure every day. And we are reminded that life is not about this earth, but life is about our soul and our God that we serve. And things begin to fall into perspective. Another thing that I noticed, and if you will, be looking at Psalm 144. As you're turning there, I begin to notice something else about the headstones. Where there was a birth date, Oftentimes, there was the shortest dash and there would be the date of death. Isn't that interesting to think of the fact that our life is represented by a dash? And you know, those dashes are short. Life truly is brief. Look at Psalm 144 and let's look at verse 4. Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. I'd like for you to do this exercise with me. I would like for us to breathe in, breathe out. That was life. That's what the psalmist wanted us to understand. Or he said, if you want to stretch it out for an illustration that's just a little longer than that, He says, look at the shadow that's being cast right now. In a few hours the sun sets and the shadow is no more. Do you remember over in James, the fourth chapter? No doubt, James, when he says in James, the fourth chapter in verse 14, his description of life, he surely had in mind what the psalmist had taught in many of the passages that he talked about the brevity of life. And this is the way he says it in James, the fourth chapter in verse 14. He's in the middle of a paragraph that's talking about individuals that arrogantly make their plans without God and God's will being a part of their plans. And he says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. James, what is life? And he says it's that vapor. We've all seen steam coming off of the stove as as water is boiling and, and it's so thick as it's first leaving the pot and by the time it reaches the ceiling, it doesn't exist anymore. We've all seen a foggy lake or a river where, where the, the fog is rising off of the water, but, but yet in just a little bit of time, it diminishes, it vanishes. Life is like a vapor. It's here for a short time. It's a powerful lesson to be reminded whatever good we want to do in this earth, we ought to be busy doing it today because life's not that long. Whatever you'd like to say to your children or to your grandchildren or to your parents or to your grandparents, you ought to go ahead and say it because life's not that long. The relationship that you've been meaning to start with God, you've been saying you're going to do it Today's a good day to do it, because life is not that long. It's a shadow. It's a vapor. It's just a breath. One time the psalmist relates it as a dream. You have it, and you wake up, and it's gone. But a third lesson, if you will be turning to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. A third lesson that can't help but be noted as we walk through a cemetery is that Family must truly be important. Have you ever thought about all the people that surround you in your life? You have your co-workers, you have your best friends, you have your church family, you have just lots of people, neighbors that you're close to, all kinds of people surround you. But when you walk through a cemetery, what do you see? Grave after grave, family. You know, I think about the Young family that had four stones there, old grave markers. Mr. Young died when he was about 35 years old. He died just after his two children that were one and two years old passed away a few years before. His wife... She lived another 35 years. They were all buried beside each other. But you know what stood out? Outliving the rest of her family for about 35 years, still on her stone, it said, the wife of Joe Young. Surely we don't have to visit a cemetery to be reminded how important family is. But that's one place that will definitely remind us as we see the closeness physically of hopefully what exemplifies or symbolizes the closeness that ought to exist every day in our life. When God made the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, He didn't just make them man and woman, He made them husband and wife. And all the ways that He could have used to describe what this relationship was supposed to be like, it should stand grand to us in Ephesians, the fifth chapter and 25. He speaks to husbands and He says, Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for there could be no greater challenge offered to husbands to say, this is the kind of love that I want you to have for your spouse. Because there's no greater love that you and I know than the love that Jesus Christ had for the church. If you would be turning in your scriptures back to Psalm, and let's go back to 103. Psalm 103. A fourth lesson. As we live in a society that is very much becoming concerned about our green space, you know, it wasn't man that came up with recycling. The Lord's the one that came up with recycling. And as a matter of fact, while you're turning there at Psalm, I want to read to you what he first said about man in Genesis, the second chapter. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And then the psalmist builds on this in Psalms 103 and verse 14 as he says, For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As the flower of the field, so he flourishes. You know, when you go to a cemetery, you see a lot of stones made of granite. But you see a lot of dirt. And that ought to be a lesson to us. From dust we came, and from dust we shall return. That's only our house. That's only our body. But as 1 Corinthians 15 teaches us, we are two men. The first man is made of dust. The second man is heavenly, a soul. God breathed into us a living soul. And when we make everything in this life about this physical body, we literally have invested our heart in that that's going to be recycled to dust. And the thing, the soul that is going to live on, the aspect that is truly us, we just might have neglected. And what a shame that would be. A fifth thing that I'd like for you to remember, and if you would be flipping over to Proverbs, the 22nd chapter. Proverbs, the 22nd chapter. As we go through a cemetery, there's one thing that lingers on, and you can't help but notice this. It's the name. Long beyond someone's life, the name lives on. Proverbs, the 22nd chapter, in verse 1, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver or gold, Many individuals speak of what they want to leave for their family, the inheritance that they want to leave behind, and they work day and night. There's nothing that you and I will leave behind our family any greater than to have a good name, a name that's written in the book of life, to have a good name and a good reputation that's even saying to our children, to our grandchildren, I want to know that your name is written in the book of life. You know, when we read in Revelation, the 14th chapter and verse 13, he said, Then I heard a voice from the heavens saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Their works follow them. Their reputation follows them. Their name follows them. Now I know we come from different backgrounds. those of us that came from more of the rural America we experienced on a daily basis where everybody knew everybody and your name was a reminder on a regular basis and it was important that you didn't do anything to mar your name And even though it may not be as often reminded to us today, it still is true. I need to think about what kind of reputation I'm leaving my children. I need to think about what kind of reputation that I'm bringing about in my family that would even affect my parents or my grandparents. I need to make sure that when people walk through a cemetery and they look over and they see that name and they say, you know... I knew some of that family. What's the next words going to be? I don't know how many times I've been asked in the short time while I was growing up. Are you Haynes Shannon's grandson? You must be all right. You Sid Armstrong's grandson? I know you. Come on in. I remember one night looking for a Palomino stallion to breed my mare to. Somebody told me about this fellow that lived out. As a matter of fact, his family lived there as long as the land had been settled. And we drove out this dirt road and we turned off it onto a lane that was a long, long, long driveway. And by the time we got there, it was night. Old farmhouse. Made our way, me and one of my buddies, two teenagers, going up about dark. Knocked on this old door. A guy kind of busts out the door, kind of scares us a little bit. He says, what do you boys want? I said, I'm Haynes, Shannon's grandson, and I hear that you have a Palomino stallion. He says, boy, if I knew who you were, I'd shot you before you got on the first step. I thought that was good news. It turned out that It was. He got his flashlight and he took us out to his barn and we had a good evening. That rough, gruff fellow, everything was different just because of the name. We're going to stand on the day of judgment and either our name will be in the book of life or it won't be. And a good name that's found in the book of life You can't measure that. There's no material blessing that will buy that. There's no one that has their name there that would exchange it once they come to fully realize and appreciate what is that name worth. When God can say, that's my child. I'm writing their name in that book of life. And when that child lives on this earth to glorify their father, their works and their reputation becomes a blessing to all of their family. But finally, I'd like for you, if you would, to be turning to First Timothy the sixth chapter, and we close the lesson with this. First Timothy the sixth chapter. There's something else that you can't help but notice in the cemetery. I didn't see any nice garages with big boats or fancy cars in cemetery. I didn't see any golf bags. I didn't see any kitchens with granite counters or the latest appliances. I didn't see any closets that were full of the latest styles. I didn't see any safes that you could crack and find huge portfolios and, and, and bank statements that are deep with cash. Picture a cemetery in your mind. These people have worked and worked. These people no doubt collectively would have had tremendous wealth. If you look at everybody that fills a cemetery, you know what I'm about to say, but I'm asking you, picture it in your mind. Here's a cemetery with hundreds of people. Where are all the houses? Where are all the bank statements? Where are all the 401Ks? Where are all the retirement plans? Where are all the, the nice toys? Where is it? It's not in the place of the dead. Because we came to this earth with nothing. And we leave this earth with nothing materially. First Timothy the sixth chapter and verse seven for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing. Out. I need that reminder I need to be reminded of really how I entered this world and then face that reality that's exactly the way I'll exit this world How many of us have worked too many hours neglecting too many things of importance and when we breathe our last breath we leave it all behind and all of the opportunities we've missed with our family to work in the Lord's kingdom To grow a deeper relationship with God. Those are missed too. Unless we recognize what's really important in life. I want to close by reading to you a passage out of Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter. Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter, gives a passage that talks about the aging body. And it's really one of the most... Uh, unique and interesting poems found in Ecclesiastes. Toward the end of it, he says... Verse 5, also they are afraid of height. Talking about when we age, we're afraid of falling and of terrors in the way. Things we trip over. When the almond tree blossoms, that's the white hair comes out. The grasshopper is a burden. In other words, there's not a strength for the grasshopper to hop. Desire fails. We just don't want to do anything. We want to stay in. But now please notice this. And I'm reading this out of the New King James. It says, for man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. You see, now at the end, he's painted the scene of the funeral or the cemetery. He says, that aged person now finally goes to their eternal home. And those that are mourning, they go back to the streets to live again. I love the King James here. The King James says, for man goes to his long home. What is life here? We're sojourners. What is life here? The breadth of a hand, the psalmist would say. What is life here? Just a breath. Just a vapor. Just a shadow. We're only here for a little while, but we're going to a long home. An eternal home. And the question that I need to ask myself, It's not how long am I going to be here but have I lived here long enough to prepare for that long home you and I don't need endless decades we just need to use the time we have here to form a relationship with God and the long home will take care of itself tonight Are you ready for your funeral? Are you ready for your last breath? We're not really ready to live until we're ready to die. And then, when we're ready to die, we're ready for the best life that can be lived on this earth. If you're not saved, I don't know your situation individually, but I know this. You're not thinking clearly. Why not be saved tonight? Prepare for that long home. Prepare for the best life on this earth. Learn the lesson from the cemetery. If you're a believer, willing to repent of sins, confess before men, won't you be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins? Maybe you've been saved and somewhere along the way, you've lost the vision of the end of the Lord and of spiritual things. It's easy to do. But that's still no excuse. We need to come back home. Back home with the Lord. Back home with the Lord forever. If you need to repent and confess sins and pray forgiveness, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.